1 John chapter 2. We left off in verse 15 last week. I'll read that one. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The word love is mentioned three times. That's the word agape. That's a sacrificial type of love that puts the best of something else before one oneself. And 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 I can, I think it's kind of ironic because as as he's saying the love of the world is exactly the opposite of the love of the Father. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. That type of sacrificial love uh, that whoever would believe in Him not have not perish but have eternal life. But here. He says, don't love the world sacrificially. Don't put it first. Don't go ahead and, and, and redo what God just undid. Uh, that's kind of the idea. But back in chapter 1, John lets us know that uh, one of the reasons that he's writing to his readers is that uh, the readers would, have, would know that they have fellowship uh, with them, that is the apostles, you have fellowship with us and with the, with the Father, uh, so, so John lays out several proofs that you have fellowship with God uh, to the to the readers there, and and I'm not going to go all of them in depth again. We've already done that. But one is, you know, believers walk in the light. We don't walk in darkness. Our, we've been taken from darkness to light. We also uh, we fellowship with those who walk in the light. We gather together with those who walk in the light. We confess our sin because light exposes darkness and we know that we're not perfect. And, and then the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Um, we keep his word. We're people of the word. We want to hear what our God has to say to us and, and where we need to go and move. And so he's the one we're getting our marching orders for. So we keep his word. And then we, our lives look like how Jesus lived. Our, we, our walk is like how he walked. And, and that's our model. Um, we, we grow spiritually. Uh, we're all at different phases in our, in our walks with the Lord, but we're growing. We're not staying stagnant. We, we're moving forward, some faster than others, but that's the way it goes. And last week we saw that those who are in true fellowship with God, and in, another proof that you're uh, in true fellowship with God, is, is we do not love the world uh, or the things in the world. And this is pretty clear. Believers don't love the world or the things in the world. And again, John is speaking in big, big sweeping things. And as you read this, hopefully you're going to be convicted in all these areas. Anyone else? Because that's what light does. It exposes the darkness and we confess our sins and we move towards the Lord. That's the idea, right? So we're not walking perfectly. But if anyone uh, does love the world, uh, John's pretty clear. He says, the love of the Father is not in you. Because that typifies the lost, a love for the world. Believers love God. They forsake the world and follow God. And we spent all of our time last week basically on verse 15, because this is so foundational, which, which speaks about what the world is and, and why we love it. Uh, and... and but basically, the, the world isn't the physical world around us. We know this. I'm just going to quickly go over a recap. Or necessarily the people in it. But it is really typified by the satanic kingdom uh, that is manifested in humanity and in this world and in its system. It's a satanic kingdom that rules and influences fallen mankind. It is a spiritual influence that manifests itself in our day-to-day -day life. And uh, we spoke about how God rescued us out of the world. And so he rescues us out from the world, from spiritual death, from enslavement to this old life, from walking in darkness 
And he does this by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. God's light shines in our darkness and then our hearts respond in repentance and faith and we are born again into his kingdom. And God transfers us out of that old kingdom into the marvelous kingdom of his light. That is what it is to be a Christian. A Christian is not just going to church or reading the Bible or saying these things. There has been a transformation that has taken place in your soul. There has been a transaction that happens. Yeah. Amen. Skip gets it. Amen, Skip. He's like, yeah, that happened, A to B. And so to, to love the world and the things in it is to love the death camp that the Lord delivered us out of. You see why it's so offensive to him? He says, there's no room for those two competing loves, those rival thrones that we just sang about, right? And let me tell you, that's the struggle we have between the flesh and the spirit. The world that we were brought into and know and love and raised and all the accoutrements and comforts that, that feed our selfishness and all that type of stuff in the world that we're in. Jesus busts into that and he breaks us and he shows us his kingdom. And now we're being transferred and sanctified and moved towards the kingdom of light, even though positionally we are. In practice, we're moving in that way. And so, like the Hebrews who were delivered from the bond of Egypt, we have, we have a competing love. Remember what happened to them? Well, what happened to them? They got delivered from all this horrible bondage and then they got into the wilderness for a few days and what did they want to do? They wanted to go back. I want to go back to the, they forgot about the slave labor. They forgot about the bitterness and all the things and they just remembered, oh yeah, I remember the meat. There was meat. They went after hamburgers. You know, they just, they, it's the typical Esau thing. You know, you give up your birthright over your flesh. We'll get into that in a minute. But we have this competing love, a love for the world um, that we left behind and the love for our Lord. And so John says, do not love the world or the things in the world. That's, that's not you guys anymore. And, and he's going to actually explain what that actually practically means. So we aren't just dealing with the theory here. But he says, anyone who does love the world, if that's the pattern of your life, if you are continually loving the world, then the love of the Father is not in you. Don't be fooled. And what was happening is they had teachers who were teaching people that it was okay to be spiritual and yet live however you wanted. That's, that was what was going on there. So you had, a, had two things going on. And so he's combating that. I'm not going to get into that too much right now. Now we left off in verse 16 which describes the things that are in the world. I already explained like how offensive it is to love the world in general because of what God has done, you know, going back to the death camp and all that kind of stuff. No, now he says, don't love the things in the world or of the world. Um, in verse 16 says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the father, but it is of the world. Anybody who's teaching you to go after these things, look out. And this is what typifies the false prophets and false teachers of their day, our day, is when you try to allure people by their fallen nature. You try to appeal to their fallenness and try to gather them to some kind of spiritual uh, situation. You see it all the time, whether it's... Um, you know, whether it's through the entertainment or whether it's through, um, gosh, you guys would, would know all this type of stuff that's out there. 
sensationalism and crazy things going on uh, that are, you know, that, that pastors and preachers and all these types of people do. when And they just really want your money and they want a Learjet and they want all these types of things, right? It's, they're, they're appealing to something within you and they're putting God's name on it. And so he says, man, that's of the world. This is not, that's not what you got to deal with. That's of the world. But he says here, he says, rather, rather than giving us an exhaustive list of the things in the world, because don't you, how many of you are kind of nerdy and you want a detailed list? You know, yeah, okay, got you. Um, rather than doing that, John's speaking in big generalities, and he just gives us three big giant groups, three big groups of the things in the world that we're not to love, and they are the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. I would write those down. The desires of the flesh, the desires of, of, of the eyes and the pride of life. Because this is, these are the three avenues in which the enemy is going to come to you in temptation. This is, this is how it happens. It happened to Jesus in his temptation and it happened to Eve in the garden and it's no different with us. Now, if someone is not born again, if they don't have that transaction that has happened, no matter how hard you try or whatever you do, um, you are not going to not love the world. That is, that is the paradigm in which you're in. You are going to love the world. You, can't, you don't have a capacity not to. It's impossible. You're slaves to sin. You need a deliverer. You needed a Moses to come break through your darkness and, and miraculously walk you through the, through the uh, Red Sea. And I'm saying a whole bunch of pictures, so probably you won't get it if you're not knowing what it is. God has to do something amazing in your life to pull you out. And so go back to Ephesians 2, read that for more understanding. But for the believer that John is writing to, hopefully that's all of us right here, um, by grace, we can overcome these things. We are overcomers in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ overcame them. His power, his Holy Spirit is living within us and we have the power to overcome sin and temptation. He who is in you is greater than that which is in the world. Amen. John's going to say that a little later in 1 John 4. So believers are told not to love Three things, three areas in the world. The first is the desires of the flesh. The desires of the flesh. This is referring to, if you're taking notes, the desires of the flesh. This is referring to strong desire for evil things. Strong desire for evil things. Uh, because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, uh, there is within each of us the desire to contradict the will of God. It's within each and every single person who is on the face of the earth. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Uh, before the Lord, before we came to the Lord, uh, we were ruled by these impulses, by these desires, and we loved them in that our lives were pri prioritized around gratifying them. How many of you, before you knew the Lord, were way out in the world? And so I, I'm using extreme examples you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and, or whatever it was that your life was just out of control. You were just living after all this stuff. Yeah, some of you go, well, hey, you know, I was driven by the pursuit of money or wealth or power and all these types of things or relationships, and you can just kind of fill in the blank. See, what the enemy seeks to do is there are natural God-given desires that we have. And the Satan sin, because of sin, they're now warped in many ways. They're broken. They're, they're manifested weirdly. Um, and really, 
these strong desires are the, the, the lust of the flesh that we have in these impulses and desires. And, and James speaks about these desires of the flesh. If you flip over to James, it's kind of, we're in first John left. Uh, uh, James one verses 13 through 15. It's kind of, you gotta be careful. You'll miss it. James chapter one verses 13 and 15. I would encourage you to write these down and meditate on them this week. <clears throat> speaking about the desires of the flesh that are in each of us, starting in verse 13 of James 1, he says, let no one say when he is tempted, what? I'm being tempted by God. How many of you have said that? God is tempting me. No, he's not. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts, what? No one. When temptation comes, guess who's not doing it? It's not God. He is not, that's just not even possible for him. Verse 14, but each person is tempted when he is what? Lured and enticed by his own what? His own desires. And then desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it's fully grown becomes death. So he uses an imagery of conception and a child being born and that child is death. It, this is what, our evil desires lead to. They lead to actions and actions, you know, they, they end in death. But verse, but remember last week when I was giving John Devon a hard time about, uh, he was over there, that's what I'm pointing. Uh, he was, <laughs> Patrick's like, no, man. <laughs> I was talking to John Devon about fishing. Yeah, so fishing, basically the art of fishing is appealing to the fish's nature so you can get him to bite and kill him right? And eat them. That's what you want to do or throw them back and he floats away or whatever it is. But they lose their lives. And, and this is what James is talking about here because of the fallen desires of our flesh. That's what he's speaking about. Each of us have the potential to be lured and enticed away from the Lord. How does that happen? We have these fallen bodies, fallen desires, all these types of things. And the enemy just has to put bait in the water that appeals to your fallen nature and jiggle it in front of you and, and try to get you to bite. And when you bite, you start to be lured away from the Lord. It, where did that come from? Did the, did, the, did the Lord put that in front of your face? No, he did not. Now, if how many of you, um, you know, you have things that you're, uh, you, you like, how many of you have food preferences? How many of you hate certain foods? Someone just say a food they do not like. Okay, lima beans. How many people don't like lima beans? Okay, a lot of people don't like lima beans. Let's go with that one. Now, if I put a big old plate of lima beans in front of you, is that appealing to most of your natures? I know some of you right now are like, mm, can't wait to get home. I'm going to go find that. Yeah, it's not your bait, right? It's, it, there's not, lima beans are neither here nor there. But here's the thing, is that we live in a fallen world and the enemy takes the bait of the fallen world around us and puts it in front of us so that we bite. Does that make sense? We bite, we're lured, and we're enticed. Those two words are fishing and kind of trapping and snaring, those types of words. And you guys who do that know, no, not snaring, of course, but all the other stuff. So John, John is saying, don't, don't love that gratification anymore. Don't feed it. Don't Resist the chum in the water of the world around you. Don't love it. Love the Lord. That's your old life. No more, you know, sharks towards water, uh, 
towards blood type thing. That's not you. Put to death daily those desires of the flesh and live by the Spirit each day after the Spirit. The Spirit of God is to be in charge of the life of a believer. I think Pastor Chuck Smith put it this way, um, you know, that when Adam was created, he had a spirit and then he had his, and then uh, then he had body and then you had, uh, and then you had your, um, well, your, your spirit, your emotions, and then kind of your body. And the idea is that the spirit was always to be in control of your emotions and the spirit was always to be in control of your body and those desires. But a person who's dead, who doesn't have the spirit of God in them, they're led around by their emotions, they're led around by their body. And when you come to Christ, God puts his spirit in you and then there's a right governance that happens. Those things need to be put in control the way they are. And by the way, you can't, you can only, um, Christ tells us to put to death the deeds of our body. But what happens is eventually our, our body dies because sin is in it and we get a new body that doesn't have that problem and everything's aligned. I know that's, that's a different message. But put to death daily those deeds of the flesh. The Spirit of God's to be in charge. Now, now to give you a little more focus on what does that look like, flip over to Galatians. So further left, Galatians chapter 5. What does it look like? What do the deeds of the flesh look like? What are we not to love? What are we not to gratify? Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Galatians 5, 22. Paul puts a short list together of the deeds of the flesh. That is how these desires of the flesh that we all love are manifested in our lives. You want to know a practical example of what all this looks like? Galatians 5, 16 through 21. Galatians 5, 16 through 21. I'm going to read a little context he says, but I say, walk by the what? That's another way of saying walk in the what? Walk in the light. Walk by the Spirit. Follow after God. And you will not what? You're not going to gratify the desires of the flesh. You're not going to give in to them like you used to. You see, Christ is the anti-flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the, fle- against the flesh. I think I... Did I say that backwards? I don't know, but read it. For these are opposed to one another to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Anybody has that? Paul talks about that again in in Romans 7. He says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. That's a different context. He's talking about something else to them. But verse 19 is the one I want you to, uh, to focus in on. Now the works of the flesh are evident. They're plain. Sexual morality impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. Now, we'd like to read through fast on all these other ones. Read slow on these. Sorcery. It's a word for pharmakeia, right? You get into drug stuff and connection with demons, but pharmacy, right? It's not saying you can't have your medicine. But enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, Rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. And what does he say there lastly? And the like. Not an exhaustive list. Paul's just laying out some examples of how our flesh is manifested. Stealing. (laughs) Lying. uh, You know, backbiting. 
you know, being harsh, being unkind, all this type of stuff, manifestations of our flesh, pride, arrogance. I mean, it's not exhaustive. That's why you got to read the New Testament because it goes into all those things. What does he say about those? He says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things, how many have another word besides do? Who practice, who walk in such things, who that is the way of their life, will not, what? Inherit the kingdom of God. Pretty, pretty. This is what the desires of the flesh look like. It's a cross section. It's not exhaustive, but it gives you an idea. John, and John simply says, don't love these things. Don't make your life about these things. Don't put them first. Don't go after them. Do not allow these things to take residence in your heart and your life anymore. That's your old life. That's Egypt. And Paul tells you why. Because those who do such things, you're not saved. In other words, if that's your life, that's your practice, that, the light isn't in you. The love of the Father isn't in you. This is, these are different ways of people saying this. How do you tell if the tree is good? It bears good fruit. How do you tell if a tree is bad? It bears bad fruit. So this is really important that we look at, look at this. Again, if you say you have fellowship with God but practice darkness, you lie and the truth is not in you. But here's the thing. This isn't like we live in perfection. Remember, as we walk in the light, what does the Lord show us? He shows us our sin and what do we do with it? We don't say we don't have it. What do we do? We confess, we go to the Lord, and he cleanses us and forgives us. Amen. Amen. That's what Christians do. We sin, we confess. Because that's where we're going. We're walking in the light. And if you turn on our TV these days, if you uh, listen to music, if you listen to the philosophies of the spirit of the age, you're going to see that this is what the world is all about. It's about gratifying the desires of the flesh, isn't it? It's all about that. It's all built on it. What is it appealing to in us and in, and in you? We are lovers of God. The world is not. Secondly, John says we're not to love the desires of the eyes. So if the desires of the flesh are those fallen impulses within us, the desires of the eyes are the avenue in which those desires are attracted to the fallen world around us. It's, it's the way in which we become tempted. and The things we see appeal to things within us that are fallen. So the eyes are really a blessing from God. Aren't they amazing? I wish I pulled up the stats on our eyes. How many of you, as we kind of get older, and I'm going, okay, I can't see as much, and you should see the font on the sides of my, my notes here. <clears throat> you guys are laughing, but I'm like, I don't want to be go finding stuff. And I find the more that I do this, the bigger it gets. And so I'm going to be like, and the Lord said. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? It's fun. But the eyes are really a blessing from God. We can see and experience all that God's given us to enjoy. Isn't this a beautiful world, even in its fallen state? I mean, to look at my wife and to look at my kids every day and, to, and to, to watch things grow and to see the sunset and the sunrise and to look at all of you. It's just, it's what an amazing blessing to be able to see the things that God has given us. And, and, and those, that window is intended for worship. That window is, is, is intended so that when we see things, we can process with the Lord. That we can, when we can see things, we can, we can worship God for his glory or bring it before the Lord. All this type of stuff, that window that he's given us is designed for, for his glory. 
But what God has given us for blessing are our fallenness and Satan and his world around us. It seeks to pervert with our, with our eyes. And so eyes have become windows for temptation in the fallen world. When Satan came to Eve in the garden to tempt her to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he told her a bunch of lies, but then what did he do? He took the fruit that was there and he started to say, look at it. And he wanted her to look at the fruit. Now, God had told her, the day that you eat it, you will die. Don't do it. Right? But Satan had her look at its beauty, not the consequences thereof. He had to look at that. He, he had appealed to her uh, about the beauty of the fruit that was before her, and and thought and 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 she thought it was beautiful, and she, it made her ignore, or she chose to ignore what God said. Re, just check it out. I'll read it for you. Genesis three six starts. It says, "So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food." And that it was a delight to the eyes. And then and that the tree was also desired to make one wise. There's another aspect to it. She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And so she went by what she saw and not by what he what? He said. Went by what you saw instead of what he said. And she fell, and Adam fell. And this is an example of, of how the enemy uses what we see in the world around us to appeal to us. How many of you have made purchasing decisions by what you saw? We all do. But if you looked behind the allure of what it is to the implications of it and what it means and how, does this glorify God and all this type of stuff, you know what I mean? We too are loving the desires of the world when we don't listen to what the Lord says first. But loving the world and not loving God is, is a tricky thing. But thirdly, I got to move along here. Thirdly, we are, we are not to love the, the pride of life. This is also translated the pride of possessions, um, materialism, but it's deeper than that. It's deeper than possessions. It's the love of self, really. That's what it is. It's pride. And it's the idea of puffing one's up self up, elevating oneself, uh, using possessions to do it. <laughs> uh, it's one way of, it, you know, with status and all that, it just to kind of exalt oneself. This is, this is what so much of the world's focus is. It isn't about humility. It's about pride, lifting yourself up. Um, what you've earned, what you deserved, um, feeding the ego and fortifying all uh, that with possessions and status and all of that. Look at so much of the marketing we have. You know, it's all about you and your pride and who you are and how special you are and you deserve this. And so therefore, just give us all your money. You know, and people can't see beyond that because, oh yeah, I want to have that. And they think that acquiring these things or doing these things is actually going to make them, that ego be filled. It's not. It, there's, there's no end to that. It's self if you look at what led Lucifer to Lucifer's fall, Satan's fall, uh, in Isaiah, you see a picture of pride, of the pride of life modeled for us. Um, I'll, I'll read it for you. Um, I think it's in chapter 14. Yeah, Isaiah 14 and verse 12. It says, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, and he goes off, the Lord's describing five I wills that Satan said. 
before he fell to the earth. These are the five I wills. He says, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God, above the angels of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. The five I wills that Satan says there are all about him ascending, all about him ascending and going up and making himself great and going above other people and doing all that. What is our world system built on? Is it built on humility? No, what is it built on? Stepping over you fools to get to the top. I mean, if you were to cut out all the, the kindness in there and just, you know, you get to the top. It's about, it, that's what it is. And somehow at the top, you're going to have all this fulfillment driving us uh, to the love of pride. This is what the world would seek and, and, and would put the lie into your heart that somehow that's the greener pasture. We see it in the temptation of Jesus. When Jesus was taken, uh, was tempted in the wilderness in Luke 4, he was in the wilderness. He was tempted in all three of these areas. We're talking about the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. But he was tempted with the desires of the flesh, you know, because he was hungry. He was out there for days, long time, hadn't eaten anything. What did Satan tell him? Hey, make those stones bread, right? He appealed to just his natural given hunger, but he wouldn't do that. He was tempted with the desire of the eyes. Satan took him onto a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and said, bow down, worship me, and I will give you them. And he could have because Satan's in control of the kingdoms of the world right now until the Lord comes back. But he was also tempted with the pride of life and that Satan took Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple. And he said, jump off. And Satan quoted scripture to him. He says, I know what's going to happen. If you jump off, the angels are going to come rescue you lest you dash a foot against the ground. It's, and, and by the way, the pinnacle of the temple was where everybody was gathered. He's going to jump off and the angels are going to save him right there in front of everyone. And he would be totally brought in. You know, no, no need for the cross. You're the Messiah. Here we go. But the desire to elevate oneself. Imagine if he had just jumped what, what would have gone and, and the angels would have caught him, the miracles and just, there was, it was just amazing. You see the temptation to elevate ourselves, but Jesus didn't jump. He went down. He went to the cross. Philippians 2.5, I encourage you to write this down. Paul exhorts us. He says, have this mind among yourselves in which, which is yours in Christ. Philippians 2.5. Have this mind in your mind in your mindset, believers, this is what Paul is saying. Think like this, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, a thing to be held on to, a thing to be clung to. But he what? Emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Therefore, verse 9, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every, every knee should bow in heaven and in earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. 
The way up is what? It's down. The way up is down. The kingdom says the way is up. Uh, the, man's kingdom, the way of Satan, is the way up is up and over. But the kingdom of God is filled with the humble. Is the way down. Have that mindset. He was here, but he became here so that he could lift us up to where he was. Do not love the pride of life or exalt yourself. First Peter 5, 5 through 7. Another one, write it down. Peter had a little trouble with pride. Is clothed yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the what? To the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares about you. You know, the thing about humility is you let go of a lot and you let God trust. I mean, you trust in God. And you get to cast your anxieties on him knowing that he cares for you. In Romans 12, 1 through 3, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transfor transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is this good and acceptable and perfect will. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned to you. Think soberly about yourselves. We're not all that. He is. <laughs> Amen? And, and, and want to one another uh, to you know, resist pride and exercise humility. Let Christ do that in you. Resist the pride of life. You see, this world is pulling on our desires of the flesh. It's constantly pulling on the desires of our eyes and the pride of life, but the Lord's calling us to love him with humility, something the Lord is still working on me in. Um, this is not our, the age of our the church's exaltation. This is the, the age of our humiliation. The way up is down. The day is coming when we'll be exalted. It's coming. It's, it's coming. Like our Lord, you know, we need to look ahead to the promises that he prepared for us. This age, the age of darkness, this world, this present darkness, it's coming to an end. We're not of it. Back in 1 John 2, verse 17, John says, and this world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. This world, this fallen system and its desires, everything that's there, the satanic influence, the kingdom, this whole thing, the things that frustrate the heck out of Christians day after day, it's going away. It's going away. It's fading. It's dying. A new kingdom is going to come. It's a bad investment it's a bad investment. It's like Social Security. 
You could do a whole lot better. That's not even a good. The returns on heaven are infinite. The investment in worldliness is exact opposite. It's just horrible. It's a bad investment because those who are of the world will pass away with it. Not saying they'll get obliterated. It means they'll be brought into judgment and cast into eternal hell. But by the way, when John says this world and its desires are passing away, it's speaking of that satanic influence over this world. It's speaking about the world and its systems and, and all that. But it's also speaking about the physical world. He's just saying it's all going away. It also means that ultimately God's going to destroy everything beholden to this fallen system. He's going to have a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. No sin wipes away every tear. It's going to be awesome. No more fighting with your stupid flesh. No more frustrated with politics and the world around you. There's just going to be love, like real love, not fake, weird, twisted, perverted love that the world's throwing out there. God's love, a, a love that has been eternal and reigns in his kingdom forever and ever and manifested in his people, it's going to be awesome. He's going to destroy this world, and he's going to usher in the new heavens and a new earth. In closing, Peter, 2 Peter 3, 8 through 14 says, but do not overlook this. So 2 Peter 3, 8 through 14. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. Gosh, Lord, you are so slow. Oh, you really, you guys, you guys believe that Jesus is coming back. Okay, have fun with that. We've been here for 20 billion years and blah, 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 blah. They just start mocking. That's what Paul's talking about. Mocking, mocking, mocking about us waiting for the Lord to come back. Listen, Paul says, they think he's slow. They think he, you know, it's a joke that Jesus is coming back. And what you're actually looking at is the mercy of God, the patience of God, the long-sufferingness of God, long-sufferingness of God, great. The long-suffering character of God. He says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Patient towards us. Perhaps you were listening today going, Gosh, I walk in darkness and I thought I was a Christian. The Holy Spirit convicts you and you realize there's a difference. Patient towards you. Patient towards us, this generation so far. Patient, desiring that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's God's desire that all would come to repent, to come walk in the light. That's why he's waiting so long. You wonder why God hasn't wrapped this whole thing up yet? Look around you. Think about your people in your, in your house, in the school, or where you live. They're just, they have no clue about God. There's in total blindness. You're the light. God's put you there. Shine. He desires that none should perish, but all would come to repentance. He's waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, and you're the plan. Pretty cool, huh? Pretty scary, huh? Makes you want to walk a little more in the light. People mock. Where is he? No, he's patient. He's long-suffering. 
I've shared this before, but you know, Noah in the flood, you guys know, like the day that Noah died, the flood, uh, the, the day that the ark was closed, the flood came and Noah built the ark and all that kind of stuff. We all know the story of Noah. Well, there's a, there's a prophecy of Enoch. Enoch uh, was the seventh from Adam. He was the seventh from Adam. And, and it's weird. As you're reading the genealogies, you get into there and you read, so-and-so was born, he had kids, he lived 780 years, and then he died. You know, he's born, he lived this many years, he had kids, and he died. And it's just that repetition. You get to Enoch, all of a sudden it goes, he lived 360 years, and then it says that he walked with God and was no more. And, you're going, what in the world is going on with that? Well, his son's name is Methuselah. Methuselah, if you know the Bible, is the person who lived the longest in the Bible. And I think what changed Enoch's mind is that his son's name, Methuselah, means his death shall bring. I think Enoch was walking like everybody else. And I think, this is me conjecture, okay? I think that what happened is he had an encounter with the Lord. And he realized judgment's coming. When your son dies, the world's gonna the world's gonna end. And he changed. Well, guess how many years that was? Methuselah lived nine hundred and something years. Sixty three, someone said. Nine sixty nine. And I always ask myself, why was he the oldest man living in the Bible? Because when he died, it was it was. Moses' 600th birthday, and the door closed on, on the ark. That's the day. That's why all the numbers are in there, number of people. You can have fun with that. All the ages of everybody. You can do the math, and it, it lines up to where when Methuselah died, that was the day that the rain started to come. The door was closed. God is long-suffering. We're in the age of Methuselah, so to speak. Don't make something weird out of it. God's long suffering. He's waiting, waiting, waiting. Repent and believe upon Jesus because verse 10, back in 2 Peter, verse 10, Second uh, Peter 3, verse 10, he says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief and the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. And so, verse 11, since all those things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for the hastening and the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. He repeats it like three times because Peter needs threes. It's going to burn. It's going to burn. It's going to burn. How are you going to live? How are you going to live? How are you going to live? Not after the flesh, not after the lust of the eyes, not after the pride of life, but after God, by his spirit, by grace, day after day. But according to his promises, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. In other words, don't love the world or the things in the world or the love of the Father is not in you. Be found in him. Amen? Verse, the rest of it says, but he who does the will of God abides forever. That typifies believers. We obey God. We love and obey him. Amen? Lord, 
We want to thank you so much. We are no longer in Egypt. We are no longer under the power and the influence of the enemy, but of your son. And Lord, I pray you'd reckon it so in our minds and our daily life. I pray your light would shine into the darkness of the desires of our flesh and the lust of our eyes, Lord, and the pride of life. And Lord, where we've sinned against you and one another, Lord, we pray that your blood would con convince us and, and uh, would cleanse us of all sin, Lord. And Lord, may you teach us to walk in the spirit and that we would have the peace of God resting upon us as we're in perfect harmony, even though the world around us is freaking out. Lord, may we be a light in this generation. Start with us, God, and work your way out to the people you desired for us to minister to. We love you and we thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen. God bless you. If you need prayer, and I, listen, pray for one another. Pray, pray this stuff in. You don't need to come to me necessarily. I'm here, but be with one another during the week. Pray with one another. Confess your faults to one another. Pray with one another. God bless you. See ya.